But I'm pretty much ready to go if you are, and uh, we can get on with it. I'm excited. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a very long time, I have to admit, <laughs> because it's going to be interesting to see how your experiences in Australia come across to me, somebody who was born and raised there. So I'm curious to, to figure out uh, how, where this goes. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Cool. I'm keen. <laughs> You're keen. Nice. <laughs> Hello. I'm Alan Hill. In this podcast series of The Nostalgic Vagabond, we're talking travel, all kinds of travel, with all kinds of interesting people from all around the world. In conversation, we'll share personal anecdotes, tales of adventure, and maybe misadventure too. Listen in for some unique cultural perspectives, tips from seasoned veterans, and an array of diverse experiences that have contributed to many life-changing journeys. Travel really is a privilege. We know that now. And if we can't do it right this very moment, let's talk about it then. Hey, where are you right now? On this episode of the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast, I talk with Emma Krebs. Emma is a lovely, friendly Canadian girl. She is still in her early 20s, so I am old in comparison, and find myself sometimes referring to people of a similar university age, like Emma is, as air quotes, kids, but definitely not Emma. She has a wisdom, maturity, and a level of self-esteem, as well as common sense far beyond her years. Whether this has anything to do with her unquenchable curiosity, so much so that she had to create and host her own podcast, or to do with her vagabonding experiences touring Australia for 10% of her life at that time, it's something we're going to discuss. In conversation, I ask, why Australia? And Emma shares what a typical viewpoint of Australia is for someone not born and raised there, like myself. We reflect on reading Vagabonding by Rolf Potts, and how certain types of travellers can be different from many people in society, leading to feelings of disconnection from the mainstream. Emma shares a brief chronology of what she got up to during her two-year jaunt around Australia, notably her woofing in the Daintree rainforest, her farm work in Queensland, and being broke as in Melbourne. Travelling is not always super fun, chilled out, or even glamorous, you see. You can be hot, sweaty, hungry, and afraid of spiders all at the same time. But at certain moments, even beyond these, that can have impact, and Emma is generous enough to share them openly, as well as what living out of a backpack for two years will teach you. We challenge that whole stranger-danger narrative we were both fed as kids growing up too. I was curious to find out from Emma whether two years of life university in Australia would be better than actual university, and what her best and worst moments were in her Aussie adventure. Emma rounds out the chat by answering how travel has helped her evolve into the kind of Emma she is today, and whether her experiences abroad have helped her establish or re-establish her connection to society or to herself. Anyways, let's get to the conversation. Well, it's the afternoon where I am, but it's the morning where you are. So I have to say to you, good morning, Emma, and thank you for coming on the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast. Good afternoon, Alan. Thank you so much for having me on. Same to you, as you mentioned before, I'm, I'm really excited. I love collaborating with other podcasters, so I'm excited for our conversation. Now, where exactly are you right now? I am currently located in my hometown, which is Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Cowtown, as I call it, because it's very, we're the Texas of Canada here. <laughs> 
cows as in moo mm. cows. Mm -hmm. Why? Are there a lot of prairie lands very close to the city? It's kind of where, where I'm from is where the mountains, like the Rocky Mountains meet the prairies. And so we host like the Calgary Stampede, which is just a 10 day rodeo kind of party. It's a very Western, like, and I mean like Western country sort of town. So it's a, it's a weird one. <laughs> hmm. I've been to Calgary, but I was not there during the festivals of the Stampede, mm. but I had heard about it from do you call yourselves Calgarians? That is correct. Yes. Good job. Yes. Got it right. They would always be proud of their stampede. And is that a sentiment that you share? Oh, definitely. I haven't experienced it for quite a few years now because I was away. And then with COVID, it got cancelled for the first time ever. But I feel like it's a very accurate representation of Calgary over these 10 days. Once you experience it, you're like, okay, now I get, now I get Calgary for sure. <laughs> Well, let's move on from Calgary because this podcast episode is all about your life-changing trip to Australia, which is my home country. So I'm just really curious to get on with this conversation and find out a few things that happened to you, some of your experiences, and see if I can connect the dots to maybe find similar cultural things that I experienced growing up there as well. But anyway, let's let's carry on and the first thing I want to ask you is, I've traveled around a lot and I meet all kinds of people. And when they hear or discover that I am from Australia, it's always a very intriguing thing to them. Australia has a brand, maybe because it's so remote and so far away, people romanticize about this island in the middle of nowhere. So Emma, I'm just curious, you chose to go to Australia. So why Australia? I honestly... People would obviously ask me that when I was getting ready to go. And I, I think it was mainly just the beauty of it. And although it, it, it can be quite similar to Canada, but if you're going, say, the East Coast, it's so different than where I'm from because it's so ocean-based, whereas I'm landlocked. And so I think it really started with just the scenery there and the nature. As I, That's more kind of my thing. When I go traveling places, it's more the, the scenic views than maybe the historical buildings that I'm drawn to. And I I really don't know. I just had this innate pulling towards it since I was 17. And then I finally bit the bullet at 20. <laughs> so you were considering it for about three years. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm holding up a book for the listeners, which they can't see, but you can see what I'm holding up. And it's this book by Rolf Potts called Vagabonding, of which I heard in a different podcast you did, I think, with Tatum on her podcast, Bon Voyage Babes, or 20 Till Takeoff, I should say, by Bon Voyage Babes. She uh, had you on as a guest, and you mentioned that you read this book, Vagabonding. Can I ask you, how did that influence you in making your decision to bite the bullet, as you say, and end up going to Australia at the age of 20? It's interesting you asked that because I had actually read it after I booked my flight. I was getting prepared to go. I was think I was maybe two to three months out. And one of my friends who I had just really gotten to know at the time mentioned the book. And he said that he didn't want to read it until he was ready to travel. He was halfway through school. And so he knew that it would make him really want to travel. And I began to read it before I left. And it's it was kind of synergetic, synergistic as 
as I was preparing to leave, I was really beginning to pare down the physical items in my life and really build my relationship with minimalism. And I found a lot of the values within minimalism, or at least what I've taken away from it were very similar to what he was writing in Vagabonding. So I really enjoyed that. It's really getting away from putting value in success defined by money or physical items and more in experiences and just living life. So it really helped to, I think, maybe put vocabulary to things that I was feeling at the time and why I wanted to leave. And I was had more of a, like a guidebook to it. But then at the same time, I had never traveled before. I know it's very common for a lot of backpackers, especially to Australia is a lot of English backpackers. And it's a very common thing to do what I did. But I didn't know anyone that had done what I had done in my community. So it was also like, I could listen to read this book and, and, and take his words and, and be like, okay, I'm not alone in this journey in a way. Mm. Yeah. Did that answer the question a bit? Yeah. For me, I read it during the pandemic, oh, no which way. is probably stupid <laughs> <laughs> because I understand what you mean when your friend said to you, I guess he was saying, I'm not going to read it unless I'm ready to travel. And maybe he was advising you to don't read it until like you're on your way mm -hmm. because he's right. I, I was feeling, I wouldn't say depressed, mm -hmm. but I was just like, I'm ready to go again, but the world was locked down. So I couldn't. And that was kind of depressing. The elements you mentioned that he speaks about living with a backpack and just living day to day, taking life as it comes and that liberating experience it is, it is a, uh, I suppose, an unusual way to talk about life as you and I growing up in these Western cultures. It's almost the opposite of what mm -hmm. we're told by society. Do you have any thoughts on that? A hundred percent. Actually, can I share a quote with you from the book? Yeah, totally. Okay. Okay. So in the book, he writes, at home, you're conditioned to get to the point and get things done to favor goals and efficiency over moment by moment distinction. On the road, you learn to improvise your days, take a second look at everything you see and not obsess over your schedule. So I was kind of reflecting on, on this as I was preparing my partner, which we might get into. I met him while in Australia and we both live here now in Canada. And we were reflecting on our time in Australia and what we've kind of learned from traveling. And I think for me, it was really just stepping into now just living life. I found I was very much since I was 14, I would go to school, have a job and play sports. So I was just always on this grind in the summer. I'd have two jobs and just this really hustle culture. Whereas when I first arrived to Australia, it was my first time properly traveling. And I remember I called my day, my dad probably four days in. And I was like, dad, I, I don't know what to do. He said, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know how to fill the day. Everyone else is rushing around. I would wake up and I'd be like in almost anxious in a way that I had to get up and do something, but I had nothing to do. I just had to be. And so it really helped me. It forced me to just really allow life to be and, and to live. And, and, and in these moments where you're just sitting, you're just sitting watching the sunrise or you're just going on a walk, but you have no end goal. To me, that is what life is about. And so mm -hmm. I think since traveling, I've really tried to implement that more into my day. And although I have a job and things like that, I can still take maybe an hour of my day to just say, I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to sit in my living room and just be, you know? So I've really just tried to implement that more into my life and, and push back from it. I think in our hustle and bustle lifestyles that we have in, you know, modern Western cities, and I suppose towns as well with, you know, the daily grind and stuff like that, 
we we're always in a rush to do things and time is money when we're waiting we feel we're losing time and we're being inefficient mm-hmm. and so that frustrates us for me when i've been abroad like you were saying you wake up and you don't really have anything to do any plans you have this time and it is really weird to get used to it but i think it's really beautiful when you can just appreciate the time and you can be waiting for something but you're just there in the moment and you're observing things go by and it's just not bothering you in the same way i definitely have that by default when i go traveling and i think there's a there's a, a setting you need to shift in your brain to kind of bring elements of that back with you when you come to the 9 to 5 and to your mm-hmm. your old life again and not let those kinds of issues that perhaps irritated you before irritate you once you've learned these lessons from traveling. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. And I find that in, in our, it's hard to not get swept up in it because in our society, that's what it's all about. It's all about productivity and productivity is only deemed as, as taking action. Whereas I think that rest is productive. That's when, especially if you're like yourself, you're a writer, you're in the creative space. You're not going to get these creative ideas when you're constantly go, go, go moving from X to Z. I'm sure that you get your best downloads as I call it when you're, you're, you're just being, you're just in the moment, you know? Totally. Yeah, that's exactly how how it happens. The inspiration comes when you're open to it. And that's normally when you're rested and just existing and feeling feeling the moment, really. Emma, I heard, I think it was on Tatum's podcast as well, that you were talking about this quote of being disconnected from the mainstream. Is that right? Did I hear you say that? Probably. My, myself just saying I, I felt very disconnected from the mainstream and I didn't fit in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you just elaborate on that whole, I mean, I've got disconnected from the mainstream as like, you could have that as a t-shirt maybe, <laughs> but can you just explain what that means to you, that quote? Well, I'm going to I'm going to go on this way and let me know if, if it's resonating at all. I just always found when I was growing up, I... I didn't, I, I never aligned with, with the people around me or what other people were doing. And obviously once I began to finish school, people were, were, everyone was doing the same thing. They were doing post or post-secondary schooling. So it's university here and they would get a house in their, our hometown and they just never really questioned things. Whereas for myself, just from an innate place, a pure place, I'm not angry or anything. I just found myself questioning many things. And so with that being said, I began to look for kind of alternatives, alternative ways of thinking, being just to see if it resonated with me a lot I or not. I came across a lot of things. I was like, nope, that's not for me. And so I think I just really, I wanted to disconnect from this bubble. And when I went traveling, it really helped me to do that, to really, in a way, find myself. And I found the last thing I'll say to that is I feel as though other travelers are the same thing. They don't connect with the mainstream. And there is just kind of this language amongst each other of we all just kind of get it. We don't, we don't really want or define success as maybe our society in the Western world does. Yeah. No, I understand what you mean. And I think I have experienced that as well, where I've found a lot of common ground with other travelers all over the world who just have different priorities in life and see things with a different lens, unlike what I was raised in in Australia, like you were elaborating on. 
you go to school, you get your degree, you get your job, your career, you get your house, you get your car, you get your wife or husband or whatever, you get another house, another car. You know, it's just it's just the process. I, I found it vaguely sickening mm-hmm. and I felt there must be more, not necessarily more, just different, different ways of doing things. And it seems that if you choose to do that, you're the weird one. But in the traveler's beat or in the traveling community, we're we're all weird ones, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I completely agree. And I, I even struggled because I feel as though for other people, they had like this textbook or this schedule that they could follow. And in moments of maybe doubt or, or hesitation, or maybe when they entered a crossroads, they always could fall back on like, okay, well, I know this route will work. But I find when you don't resonate with that mainstream, you don't have a textbook to fall back on because you don't know what it is that you want maybe, or or maybe you do, but it's just what you're doing is so outside of the norm. And I really struggled to find people that I could say like, hey, I think I want to like go do this, but I, I just want to hash it out and brainstorm. Whereas they just, they couldn't even grasp that. And it wasn't until I went traveling that I realized a lot of these people would have the same thoughts, ideas, maybe struggles that I did. And it was just so empowering and encouraging for sure. Well, let's let's move ahead now and talk about Australia. You were 17 more or less when you decided that you wanted to go there or you dreamed of going there. At 20 years old, you committed to going there. You read Rolf Potts's Vagabonding and you were pumped to go there. You're on your way. Now, did you buy a one-way ticket or a return trip? Just a one-way ticket. In your head, what did that mean precisely? Um, it left things open. I didn't know. I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never traveled. So I said, I'll either be gone for three weeks, maybe three days, three months. So it really just allowed me to fully jump both feet in. Like commit and yeah. dive into the deep end and just make the most of it, see what happens. Learn how to swim. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you arrive in Australia. You were 20 years old. Can you just give a brief outline of what kind of experiences you had there and and what was it like being there as like a first experience in such a a place that was far away from home? Mm. So just a brief overview. I, I landed in Sydney, but I went up to the Daintree Rainforest and I did woofing there for my first month. And then from there, I went to New Zealand and I did the North and the South Island just for about a month, I think. Then I came back to Australia. I traveled more down the East Coast and I ended up in Melbourne and I had $100 to my name. So that was, <laughs> I had to make things work quickly. And so I did that. I lived in Melbourne for maybe six months and then you have to do farm work in order to stay for a second year. So I went to a place called air. It's in Queensland, just outside of Townsville. And I did my farm work for four months there. And then for my second year, I had a huge community around me from my farming and my partner at the time and so, or my partner now, sorry. And, um, <laughs> still here. And we lived in Sydney for that entire second year. We took some trips like Tasmania and things like that, but that was a, a quick overview of my time there. And I think the initial, the initial part, it was more just, yeah, like the distance because it, it is a westernized culture we speak the same language there is a lot of similarities there but i do find it is a lot more english than canadian so for me it was a bit more of an adjustment for sure so 
it was just more the excitement and everything that I saw, like even just seeing a dump truck, I found just so fascinating. I was just excited by everything when I first got there. And like someone, if someone told me to like, do you want to go to the grocery store? I'd get so excited to just walk up and down the aisles in Australia. But definitely when I first got there, the thing I noticed was the distance as my parents don't really travel. So I just, I just always, the whole time I was there, I was always aware of that. Like if something was to happen, I did just feel so far away from my family. You mean like isolated by the distance? Mm. Mm. Yeah. And just like the quickest I could get home, it would take at least two days for me to get home, you know? And so, mm. yeah. And, and and I would definitely say isolated, especially since I went to the Daintree when I first got there. And that was me traveling, going by myself, but then going to the Daintree, it was just a whole new level. I'd never done woofing. I was living with strangers. I had no cell service. So it was like, I was disconnected, disconnected for myself. Yeah. I mean, that's really diving into the deep end. <laughs> I have to commend you for that because as a 20 year old, I mean, what was I doing as a 20 year old? I, I did a few road trips as a 19 year old in Tasmania actually, oh, nice. with a mate, but 20 years old, I think I was having a gap year from a gap year <laughs> or something like that. And I was just working and existing. I'm not sure if I would have had the balls to do what you did at 20 or the finances. But now when I reflect, it's not even to do with that. You just had the the space in your mind to say, look, I'm just going to go and do this. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, well, I'll go home with my tail between my legs. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people who who miss out on these adventures is they don't actually just go for it. They think about it and never just commit mm. to it, you know? A hundred percent. And like, I don't think anything is a failure. I think a failure is more like not taking action um, when you do feel discontent or maybe complacent. And I think that even if you go and you realize it wasn't experience, I think a lot of times by finding out what you do want is through finding out what you don't want. So I'm just kind of like, I want to try everything once. Yeah. You had a, a quick chronology of the things you got up to there. Two years you were there for. So that's quite a lot of time to see a bit of Australia, work in a few different locations. You even got to New Zealand for a bit and Tasmania. So you went to a few islands, mm -hmm. let's say, or smaller islands. Um, were there any moments of significance like, if I asked you, was there, did something happen that taught you a life lesson? Does something like come to your mind straight away? I think of two things and, and I, I, you would, you would let me know about this question before. And I've really kind of been chewing on it because my initial answer, I didn't really find that interesting, but I, I just want to share it still because it, it, I think it's there for a reason, but I think it was more when I first got to Australia, I remember I sat at Bondi Beach and I had looked at photos of Bondi for probably a year. And I remember in my last like three months back in Canada, every day at work, I would look at it. It would be the background on my computer. And so it's, yes, I know it's like this touristy place, but it was more just me sitting there realizing that you can do what you want to do. It just, it seemed so far off and it seemed so big for me to go to Australia. One day I had this idea but it was more just like a super empowering moment of just realizing, and I don't mean to sound too wooey, but just the power of the universe. I believe in like the law of attraction manifestation that I had like, I had manifested this moment and it was just so like validating that I was like, I can literally do what I set my mind to. I do have the power and the support of it. And then one other thing I do want to share is I think this is a bit of a, an interesting one is when I was at the farm and I was doing my farm work. 
privilege really just kept hitting me in the face, I find. And I, I, I will be the first to acknowledge my privilege. And I try to be very aware of it um, as like a cis white English speaking female. But when I was there, since I did speak English and it was my native language, I did realize that I got treated a lot better and, and that conditions were quite harsh while I was at my farm work. And even just for people being from the country that they were, my farmer had these like weird like struggles with these individuals just because they're from certain countries. And I could just drastically see the difference of how they were being treated. Or I heard of other experiences that backpackers had in different farms and things like that, just because of the country they were from or that English wasn't their first language. And so that would be another thing was like, I have a distinct memory of our farmer yelling at someone and, and we knew that it was just because he was from Germany and our, for some reason, our farmer didn't like Germans and just like so messed up, you know? Mm. So that would be another one for sure. That farmer sounds a bit like a bogan. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, brainwashed into thinking if you carry a certain passport, you're going to be a certain way. That's an unfortunate thing. <sighs> yeah, I've experienced that in a, in, a, in a positive way sometimes, but also I've seen it, it be negative because I carry an Australian passport and I have, an well, a less of an Australian accent now than I used to, but... Because Australia in most places has a good reputation, that is to your advantage as a traveler. Mm. And I don't know whether it's the same for you, but I have this idea that in some countries, if you were there as a Canadian and there was an American next door, like you, you might be slightly favored over the American. And, and that's because the reputation globally is as such. And I remember I was in Canada in Toronto years ago now and there was a bloke from Saudi Arabia in the hostel with us and he got treated quite badly um, and I was like why why is that and I just think you know it was because people maybe had this idea of what of of like a prejudged mm -hmm. notion of what he might be like and you know, I spoke to him a few times and he was, he was not, he was nice. Like I, I, I couldn't judge him, you know, I was just chatting with him and, you know, it's unfortunate, but this is just what happens and is a default setting for a lot of people. Have, have you had any other experiences, perhaps not in Australia, but even in your home hometown of Calgary, where, you know, you've seen people be judged on their nationality? Oh my goodness. All the time. I've worked in many different like fields of work and things like that and been around different communities and it is it's again it's it, it makes me quite upset even I um I spoke with I just had one of my friends on Eugene and he's originally from the Philippines and just hearing their story of all that they have to overcome just to come to another country they have to learn another language and it's the same as as when I was in Australia usually I had a friend from Argentina and for me when I applied for my Australian visa I just applied, I paid my money, I got it straight away. For her, she has to take a test and um, go through so many more obstacles and things like that. And these people have the time are like so much smarter than me. And it's just because of where I'm from that I get given it on a, on a silver platter and I don't even have to do any work. So I kind of went all over there, but yeah, it's it's a common narrative for sure. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Let's Let's move forward and talk about the idea what you mentioned before where you were reading Vagabonding by Rolf Potts and he was talking about simple life and minimal life. I imagine when you were in Australia, you were living out of a backpack for two years. What did that teach you 
about yourself or about what you could be capable of? Ooh, I love that question. Um, yeah, I intentionally went with, I could bring more, but I intentionally went with just a carry on and I wanted to maintain that for as long as I could. So as I mentioned, minimalism was something that came into my life. And so that's kind of where it stemmed from. And then I had all these other things that were kind of contributing to it as well. So when I first got there, realizing that everything I owned fit into this backpack, it was so empowering. Like I could go anywhere. It was just the freedom that you felt not being physically bogged down by these items. But also too, I I think that having a lot of items in your life, it, it weighs you down psychologically and mentally as well. So just that freedom and that liberation. But at the same time, I think I might've mentioned it before when we spoke, but before I left, I found that I wore a lot of masks, um, meaning physical of how I looked, how I did my hair, I would wear makeup, I would dress a certain way. And I was really um, put my value and my identity into how I looked externally. And with me only having a limited number of items and a limited number of clothes that I could wear that was really stripped away from me. So it was a huge lesson for me. And I know it seems so juvenile, but it was just my experience of, I always thought that people wouldn't want to talk to me if I wasn't wearing makeup and all this stuff. Whereas when that was all stripped away, I was just showing up as who I am and people would, we would connect. It was just so such a deeper connection of just like, me stepping into who I really am and making connections with people in that state was just such a strong bond. And it really helped me to build more confidence into myself and get a greater understanding of who I am as well. Speaking of making connections with people, Emma, there's this lesson we're taught when we're growing up and when we're children that we shouldn't talk to strangers. Now, I remember my mum would always say, don't talk to strangers, don't answer the door. Don't talk to anybody you don't know. And I was like, yes, mum, yes, mum, yes, mum. And I think that's bad advice. I think, especially as a traveler, talking to strangers is something, especially as a solo traveler, you have to do or you're going to talk to nobody. But also sometimes you need stuff and you don't know where you are and and you have to you know, approach somebody you don't know and maybe ask for help. Did you have any instances in your traveling where you've had to talk to strangers? And are you coming from a similar sort of background to me where you were instructed as a child, don't talk to strangers, whereas you've had to embrace that and it's been a wonderful experience? Um, a million percent, probably even more so. If my mom's listening to this, she will be <laughs> laughing to herself. <laughs> also, as a female traveling on your own too, it's it's something you definitely are always thinking about. But the thing is, is I completely agree with you. You even have to rely on strangers sometimes um, and depend on them. And you're thinking to yourself, I've never even... I don't even know this person's name. And, and now I'm getting them to drive me somewhere that I don't even know where I'm going, et cetera. So it was beautiful how then I, I was forced into switching that narrative in my life of, cause I always was afraid of strangers and I always could feel inside me that it was wrong because I really do innately love connecting with people. So I felt like I was always suppressing myself, but I just felt like it was bad to be going to the cafe and talking to the person next to you. So sorry, there's fluff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> distract me. Um, and so even safer woofing, I had just gotten to Australia and I was really scared. I was in the danger. I didn't realize how remote that was going to be until I got there. And for people who don't know, like the bus only comes maybe once a week and like, it's a ferry to go, well, not a ferry, but you kind of have to take this like ferry to get across. And so I remember just sitting, waiting for my host to pick me up. My bus driver had given me his phone number. Cause he was like, 
I don't know where you're going and I don't know who you're going to see. So if you like, this was a stranger and he was like, if you need anything, you don't know anyone. So here's my phone number. My, my, my wife and I can come and pick you up if you need us. And again, it's just the beauty of strangers just reaching out to me. And so I remember my host came and I was, I was scared. He pulls up with like uh, in a yellow Jeep with no doors, not wearing a shirt, no shoes, no teeth. He's like balding all the way back there. This like he looks scary. He looks scary. He's like, "Hey, yeah, Emma." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Get in." I'm like, "Oh my god, where? What? What the hell am I getting into?" I was like, "This is what my mom's afraid of." They ended up being my Australian mom and dad. Like to this day, I love them both to pieces. So it's really just been changing that narrative, and I think more often than not, people will surprise you in the most beautiful ways. And as one of my friends said a stranger is a friend that you have, haven't met yet. So I love that. It's cheesy, but I think it's so great. Yeah, you're right. And I think I wish I was even better at it because it does take a little bit of nerve to, to actually go and approach a stranger, no matter what the reason for doing so is. And because I was educated to not do that, it's a matter of changing my mindset, but then a matter of practicing the act and actually getting better at doing it. And so it just becomes more natural mm. and a fluid thing to do. And I think we all should practice this thing. And to be honest, you don't know who you will meet and you don't know what friendships might happen. And wouldn't the world just be, you know, so much nicer if you realize that no matter where somebody comes from, you could find a connection with them. And I'm thinking back to your Bogan farmer who seem to be prejudiced towards certain nationalities. Well, if you actually spent the time getting to know people, maybe those ideas of what people he thinks are like from these countries, everyone's just an individual anyway, and he could have a nice friendship with them. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> bit, bit ranty there. No, but hey -ho. <laughs> I've been ranty, so I'm stopping. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the farm work and that was an interesting experience for you. For the people who, who don't know, if you want to go to Australia, most places it's quite easy to get a one-year visa. But if you want to stay for a second, you have to do, is it 90 days of farm work? 88. I don't know where the number comes from. 88 days yes. of farm work. Okay, <laughs> interesting. And you did that because you wanted to stay for the second year. Now, I understand uh, there were some negative experiences about that, but I'm sure there must have been some positive experiences about that experience as well. So can you just give a no filters take on what your mandatory 88 days of farming for second year visa was like in Australia? Yeah. Again, I will say, I know I had a way more positive experience, but with that being said, that's what breaks my heart is because it was a very harsh, my experience. So for me, I went to air and most places you'll go and live in a working hostel. I find it's the easiest. And so I picked hourly, which is the best, unless you're like some strong man who's picking watermelons or something, um, who's getting paid by weight. That's really hard to make money. So I found the reason that this this situation can be really um, toxic really quickly is because a lot of these backpackers are so desperate to stay in the country for another year and they're a backpacker at the same time. So they don't have any money as well to begin with. So people are desperate for work, but also to stay. So we put up with a lot. So for me, as I mentioned, I lived in a working hostel. So it was basically just like a shed. It was one of the grossest hostels I ever stayed in. And I had a room with eight girls. But the thing for me was as harsh as it was, and as someone who 
I definitely do recharge from being on my own and never having a moment to just be in private. It was really beautiful though, to see the experience of community really manifest in a hostel amongst my peers and the relationships that I built there are still strong to this day. And I know if I was to see them again and be reunited with them, some people I have in person, it's just what we experience together is just on another level because when you're traveling, you spend time with people maybe for a week or maybe a bit longer and you you go traveling, you, you go see these views, these lookouts, maybe you go skydiving together. But when you're at this farm and you're going through this manual labor, you really look out for one another. And so like, say you're picking really slow, people will come cut the line, pick, and they'll be like, don't say this to the farmer and really just kind of give one another advice and look out for each other as, because we're a team. And so that was the beautiful part. And people that maybe at the beginning, I just they would put me off just from maybe they were more like extroverted and loud throughout my time there. Since I was forced to live with these people for about four months, I really started to see their perspective in a different way and really learn um, and build a stronger relationship with them. So the community aspect uh, was just like, you can't put it into words. It was beautiful. Mm. Mm -hmm. And did you meet anybody special on the farm? Yes, sorry. Um, I met my partner there. So we we finally connected after living in the same hostel for maybe three months. We never spoke to each other. And then at the end, right before I left, <laughs> we really connected and um, we're still together to this day. May I ask, is your partner one of these extroverted types <laughs> that you were a bit a bit wary of in the beginning or am I am I sort of mishearing? No, um, well, maybe initially, and that was the thing is he's English as well. So I know that, again, in like English culture and Canadian culture, you would think it would be quite similar. But this whole idea of like the lads and the drinking and the drug culture, I I'm from Canada. We're we're very wholesome here. <laughs> and so I, my, my hostel was predominantly English and Irish individuals. And so to be honest, yeah, like everyone, all they would do was drink. And I just didn't understand their crack, like their, their slang and things like that. So I was really put off and it wasn't until my partner who he's more introverted as well. So that's why we were both just always like off on our own. Mm. Once we really got together was when I started to understand like the English culture more, he'd kind of explain their perspective. And then that is when not only like him and I grew stronger, but then that's when I started to understand the other people living there more, if that makes sense. So like this maybe lads lad that I, I didn't really like, and he just really rubbed me the wrong way by the end of it, since I understood it became one of my best friends. So it just really helped me to, it was kind of like a slap in the face of like, M, you can't make these assumptions on people and their experiences and things like that. So it goes back to what we were talking about the farmer. It's like, when you just take the time to get to know people and learn more from their perspective, there's just nothing but understanding and love there by the end of it. So, yeah, I mean, we're all people in the end. We come from different cultures and different backgrounds, so we can look different or express ourselves differently. Or maybe when we're interacting with certain people, like you said, rub people up the wrong way because they're not used to that way of speaking or that way of acting or, you know, uh, the volume that they use in their voice. But when you push through that and, and take the time, it's just another human being who you can potentially make a connection with. And it seems like that was a lesson that you learned while on the farm for that 88 days. Mm -hmm. And as a 20-year-old too, Emma, I think you've only been on the earth for 20 years. So you haven't really had the time to um, learn all these things. But by going traveling for two years, you probably had 
so many lessons compacted into such a short space. You matured 10 years in two years. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, uh, I mentioned to you, we call it Life University, my partner and I. I did attend some post-secondary schooling, um, but it, it is true. Like the things that you experience or you have to do it just gets fast tracked. You learn how to deal with people. You learn how to like, now I know that I can go to another country and live there. Like I know the process of like how to get a job, how to get an apartment or, and, and maybe if it is a different country, I know how to go about it, how to talk to people, how to connect with people. The things that I learned, you could never be taught. You have to just go and dive into the experience for sure. So I completely agree. Even, and I know, I don't mean to keep talking about like my partner, like I'm my own person, but I'm just saying the experiences that him and I had together because we met traveling, we met in a different country, we met at the farm work. Three months into our relationship, we were at probably a, a maturity level in our relationship of being together for one year, if that makes sense, just from yeah. the experiences that we had. And so I think that was another huge representation of what travel can really do. Yeah, I think there's a, a huge sort of piece of advice in that. And I have this opinion that if you are serious about somebody and you want to commit to a long-term thing, a good test to see if it's going to work is if you went traveling together somewhere foreign, somewhere new for maybe oh, at least a decent amount of time, a month or three months backpacking because you're going to be stressed, you're going to be tired, you're going to be freaking out and how you work together as a team mm -hmm. or if you don't work together as a team, it's going to be a pass or fail scenario on the what your relationship will turn into in the future so yeah i mean it's a high risk high reward strategy perhaps <laughs> but i i think i mean you you started that way and so you know in a way you kind of gave yourself a head start mm -hmm. so if he could good if he you. could find me attractive in my high vis um <laughs> i was like there's nowhere but up <laughs> well the funny thing is in britain if you're wearing high vis it usually means you know what you're doing so maybe he kind of was um <laughs> was encouraged by that <laughs> could not have been more false <laughs> back to the masks i was talking about that was it <laughs> <laughs> now back to you what we were talking about just before it might be a slightly controversial thing to say but do you think two years of traveling is more valuable than two years of study at university yeah, I can't, I can't speak to it because I never, I never went to university, but I did go to school for holistic nutrition. So again, it's like alternative kind of schooling, but I, I, I a million percent think so because most of the time you're going to be living in your hometown or near your hometown, you're going to have the same friends. The whole point of traveling that really was monumental for me was being taken out of my bubble because as, as close as I am with my family and, and really value their opinion and their thoughts or my friends here, it was really when I was stripped completely back, it was like, well, who am I without these labels of a job about other people's worry about other people's opinions, because I don't know anyone here. So I can be whoever the hell I want to be. And I feel like you might not be able to do that if you were to go to more of a structured university setting. And as well, it really empowers you to be your own person and be an adult because at university, you still have that structure or you have pro, uh, professors and just certain ways that you have to be. Whereas again, when you go traveling, you can do, be, say, show up however you want. And it's through experience, you realize Oh, I vibe with this. I don't vibe with that. I'm going to take parts of this person. I'm going to take not as much of this. And then the, the last thing I'll say is you're exposed to so many more 
cultures and perspectives, I feel like more um, different and varying than maybe at university because you all are maybe going to school for law. So you're going to have that similar interest there as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. You are in Australia from the age of 20 to 22. Basically, that means you spent at that time 10% of your life in Australia. If you can think back to that time, can you recall the most awesome moment of that experience and the shittest moment of that experience? Mm. I'm, I, to be honest, one of the most awesome moments was when I lived in Melbourne, I moved into a house with Australians that I had... I was going through a really shitty time. I, this was when I had a hundred dollars to my name. I was living in this hostel and I had been traveling around for six months and I just wanted some sort of sanity of just like a room that I could close the door on and a kitchen that I could cook <laughs> in. That was like not disgusting and just be by myself for like 10 minutes. And so I was like, I need to find a house. And I found a house at this cafe I was working at the craziest thing happened. My customers one day were like, do you need somewhere to live? Like as a joke. And I moved in with them and they were Australians. And so it was just so amazing to be sitting at the dinner table with them. Their parents lived down the road. They lived in the suburb their whole life. And just the people that would come and sit at the table, they were just, my, my housemates were just some of the most interesting individuals. So their friends would be super interesting. So, so many times I'd sit there at my dinner table, eating my freaking veggie mite, being like, I am in Australia sitting with like these random people. Like what are the odds that I'm here sitting here for? And the experiences and the conversations that we were having were just so different than my life back in Canada. So something small, but I just think that it was like, that's why I came to Australia was to like be more in that culture, if that makes sense. And just to, to hear of a different way of living kind of, mm. that would definitely be one of the many highlights. It's a hard question. And the shittiest moments, to be honest, were just when you just, it's the struggle of just trying to, you're tired from traveling, you have no money. So you're getting creative on what the hell to eat and you live off of rice cakes and you're <laughs> trying to move to another hostel when, because it's like $2 a night cheaper. And so you have to lug all your shit there and you're just homesick. It was just always, it, to be honest, the hardest points were when you felt really alone, but at the same time, like they were so pivotal because it really again, it just showed the power that I have. It was like in these shitty moments, only I could take myself out of it. I couldn't call my brother to borrow money. I couldn't have my mom drive me here or a friend, just see a friend for ice cream to cheer me up. It's like, I didn't know anyone half the time in these cities. Those would probably be the shittiest moments when just like the grind of, of the mundane things were really getting to me. And maybe like you were saying, if you're in a hostel, you got no money, you got no space. I guess it's difficult to decompress if you're a person like yourself, Emma, where you need your space, you know, you need to have that, that moment with yourself to mm -hmm. re-energize. And that's difficult to do when you're sharing a room with eight other people and you've got no money to maybe have a private room and, you know, you're going to the dollar shop and getting tin tuna and <laughs> Maggi noodles for dinner and, and feeling like, oh, this is not so inspiring. I miss having steak and three veg or whatever like I used to do back home yeah. and your friends are like you're living the dream and you're like mm. <laughs> right now I'm not <laughs> it's it's a dream yeah. it's a dream yeah. I'm like, little do you know <laughs> you were 20 to 22 when I sort of 
I mean, I guess I could say went vagabonding with a backpack with no end date, one-way ticketing. I was 25, 26, so a bit older than you. I mean, you can only speak from your experience, I know, Emma, but do you think the age that you had your adventures was a good age or do you think there are you could have been younger, say 18, or do you think an optimum age would be like 23, 24 to do this kind of thing? I honestly say like the younger, the better, even just being exposed. Like I know for my like friends that live in Europe, they had traveled a lot more than myself because it was a bit more difficult in North America. And so even for them, just some of the experiences were just more, not as, not as crazy to them. So I, I say the younger, the better. At the same time I was 20. So I wasn't as, I, the reason I say the younger, the better is because you're not as like domesticated in a way, if this makes sense, you're not as um, indoctrinated from society and you really are still, you, you have that na- naiveness to you. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, And just, yeah, naivety. yes, there we go. At the same time, you have the energy to do these things. And for me, I had, I wasn't in a relationship I didn't have any kids. I didn't own any properties or anything like that. I sold my car before I left. So it really allowed me to just be free and to fully dive into the experience. Whereas if I find that I had more ties to to Canada, whether it be a relationship, a child, et cetera, then it would have been more difficult to fully embrace the experience. And it was when I fully embraced the experience that it really began to like change my life for sure. So yeah, when I was traveling, there was, there was a lot of Germans I found would come and they'd be 17, 18. And I just commend them for what they're doing because at the same time, at such a young age, you still don't know what you want. I think it's so crazy that they, they ask like 17 year olds to choose an entire career at that age, meaning they go to university and, and this is going to be the rest of my life when it's like, you haven't even experienced life yet. So I think getting out into the world and really just seeing what resonates with you when you do come back, it'll really help you to choose the correct path for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I've met a lot of really young Germans traveling Mm -hmm. and I've always been very impressed with how they carry themselves Mm -hmm. in in their traveling circles and in society because i mean when i was 17 18 i was just a knobhead and you know uh, these these guys seem to be able to interact with kids 20 year olds 30 year olds 40 year olds get a job you know go out at night and not be threatened by any kind of crazy things that Mm -hmm. happen in the night scene and it's just impressive. And I don't know if it's just their culture or maybe they've been traveling around Europe since they were in high school on certain school trips or whatever. But yeah, they they seem to, to do it well. And I'm actually a little bit jealous of them. I know. <laughs> I'd be like, you're 18? Oh, I'm, I, right. Good for you. But I'd be like, man, I'm, I'm so immature. <laughs> <laughs> Can you articulate, Emma, the kind of person that you are today and compare it to the kind of person you were pre-Australia. So are there maybe the, the, the main significant changes that that experience traveling in Australia has helped you to evolve into the person you are now? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. One thing I, I mentioned before, and I'll just touch on it again, is in regards to like wearing the masks, I, I really was tied up in places I worked, people I surrounded myself with, and really just, I know it's silly, but I am a, I am a girl in my 20s, so it is, it is pushed upon us, but even how I looked and how I dressed. So really just stripping that back and just knowing who I am and, and showing up as I, as I am. Um, but the, another thing is, is we talked about 
um, don't talk to strangers. And so since I've moved back to Canada, I've been home for maybe a year and a half now and COVID's kind of stunted things. And I've actually started my own podcast and through the podcast, probably 99% of those conversations started with me speaking to strangers. And so those strangers have now in turn turned into my friends in real life. And it's been such a beautiful thing. Even when I go out into the communities, so I'm back in my hometown and when you're traveling, you meet a lot of people constantly. You're meeting new people and it's so easy to just be like, hey, I'm Emma, I'm from Canada because you're amongst fellow travelers who are usually by themselves. So it's easy to connect with people. So I feared that when I came home as an adult now or in my adult years, even though I still feel like a child, it's harder to make friends, especially in your hometown. You have usually the friends that you've always had and like that's about it. So I worried that I wouldn't meet new people. Whereas since I've come home from traveling, I have probably met the most people I've ever met in my entire life because I feel way more empowered and I feel more comfortable in myself and confident to just like at a cafe, start talking to people. I go out in places now and I just, I feel way more inclined to really just connect with people and, and look for these deeper connections as well. Quickly, just tell us about your podcast, what it's called, what it's about and where people can find it. Yeah. Um, so my podcast is called The Curious One. It's available on all podcasting platforms and YouTube. And so it's just a space for me to have conversations with individuals about a variety of topics in order to broaden my perspective. So whether it's about tiny house living to a transgender woman's experience to I love talking about conscious masculinity and femininity. So yeah, it's a space to just really learn and, and really d lean into my curiosity for sure. Yeah. Mm. Right. It's time for my favorite four. So Emma, I'm going to ask you four questions about four of your favorite things. Okay. All right. Emma, what is your favorite season? Oh, summer. I love, I love the warm climate. Canada's hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite mode of transportation i call them my shovel legs which is my legs does that work i love walking i haven't had that answer yet but i love that answer okay that's really beautiful <laughs> what is your favorite foreign word oh, i can't i can't answer that uh there's a word that i didn't know was an english word can i just say that it's an english word okay it's gonna be a really boring answer but uh euphoric I didn't know what that word was until I went away and someone that didn't speak English as their first language taught me that word. So, and I think it's a beautiful word. Did this person happen to be a German? Yeah, I think they were. <laughs> their vocabulary, again, <laughs> so right? There's just their geniuses. <laughs> and the final one, this is going to be perfect for you. So what is your favorite walk or hike? Ooh, ooh, that's a... Again, it's cliche, but I loved the Bondi Kuji because I lived in Kuji in Sydney and it's iconic. Um, but also I live in the Rocky Mountains here in Canada. So I love hiking in the in the winter. And so there's one called uh, Hailing Peak and you can do it. You can do it whenever you want, but I've done it at sunrise here and it is just stunning. So you get to the top of this peak, which is it's a brutal hike and it's just amazing views of the Rocky Mountains at the top. Yeah, sounds pretty impressive. I mean, obviously, you know, in Australia, they don't really have mountains at all. So you're like way up in the big leagues in yes. Canada for that kind of thing. <laughs> 100%. My favorite four. Right. Last thing. And then we're done. This is going back to the beginning in a way. We're going to bookend it. You were expressing when you were younger that 
you were disconnected from the mainstream. And we talked about that a little bit. From this traveling experience and now into your your life back in Canada, has anything changed in the way you originally thought about being disconnected from the mainstream? And what I mean by that is, have you connected to something specific or have you changed what your original thoughts were about in yourself in being disconnected from the mainstream? I'm not saying have you connected to the mainstream necessarily, but have you connected to something because of traveling that you've brought back into your mainstream life in it. Calgary? Yeah, it's to be okay. So I don't mean to sound too wooey, but like my internal connection, I, I always had that. And so since traveling, I that really just grew stronger. And throughout every year of my life on this planet, it grows stronger. But as I said, I, I honestly really left set out on my travels to really view and and dip my toes into alternative ways of living. And I really got exposed to that, especially during woofing and things like that. And so it made me feel more seen. And, and a lot of these people really inspired me or I resonated with what they were doing and how they lived their lives. So I genuinely feel like now I, I do have a community of people around me, both globally, which is really cool. And um, here in Canada, because I feel more empowered to speak out about my truths. And with that being said, it really helps to draw in people that resonate with me and who I am. And so um, it's really reflected in the community around me for sure. Wonderful. Well, we've reached the end of the time, Emma. So I wanted to say to you that that was a really enjoyable conversation on the podcast. And I wanted to say thanks for your time and coming on The Nostalgic Vagabond. Thank you, Alan. It was such a pleasure. I was, I was so happy to connect with you. So thank you. Very cool. All right. So do you want to hit the stop recording? Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. And if you would like to listen to other interesting talks on travel, there are more podcasts available. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. And for updates, just follow me at The Nostalgic V. Don't forget, your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. Hey guys, if you enjoy listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond, why not support the podcast? If you haven't already, subscribe, and you'll be notified when new apps drop. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast app. Why not share this episode? Tell your friends about it if something resonated with you. Word of mouth is great promotion. If you're into social media, maybe post a screenshot of the episode or upload the link on your profile so your mates can see what interesting content you've been into lately. All your support comes straight back and helps to keep the travel content and nostalgia of this podcast going. Cheers. So don't forget to subscribe.